Okay, uh, we're in Matthew chapter 7, reading from verse 12. Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. In everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you, for this is the law and the prophets. In everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you, for this is the law and the prophets. He says that this is the law and the prophets. In other words, he said so much of the law and the prophets, that which is in the Old Testament, is summed up in this statement. In everything, therefore, treat people in the same way you want them to treat you, for this is the law and the prophets. Now, that's not the total summation of the Law and the Prophets. That is, that is actually given in Matthew chapter 22. So let's look there in Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22, and we're going to be reading from verse 37. And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So, then, then he says, On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. So the entire law and the prophets can be, can be concentrated into these two verses. To love God with everything within us. And it's interesting, in this passage it says you're to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Jesus actually puts that word there, mind. In, in, in the Old Testament there's the word strength, and in the New Testament it comes out as the word mind. So in other words, it is a good thing to have a conscious understanding of God. There's no problem with, with studying deeply the things of God that are written, but we are to love God with everything and to love our neighbor as ourself. In Matthew chapter 7, he says you're to treat people the same way you want them to treat you. He does not say you're to treat others the same way that they treat you. That is not what he says at all. He says you're to treat others the same way you want to be treated. You know, I have, what I do every week is, is um, I read the portion all week long that I'm going to be teaching on on Sundays. And I read that every morning and just, just think about these portions as, as I'm going to be teaching on them. And as I've been meditating on this portion, God has been reminding me to treat others the same way that I would like to be treated. And God has also been pointing out to me the times when I don't do that. And it was made clear to me this week, little things that I do just to insert, just a, a little blade into people at times. And God has been bringing that more and more clear to me as I've been meditating on this portion. And it shows how desperate my heart really is that I am to treat them in the same way that I'd like to be treated. And there was, there was one instance this week, and it's, it's too detailed to, to just lay out everything, 
but there was just this little blade that I wanted to slip into some, somebody. Just real simple little thing. And there had been this tug of war in my mind. You know, I had this little white angel on one shoulder and this, this little red thing on the other shoulder and whispering in my two ears. And, and I yielded to, to the red beast on, on one ear. And what happened was, in that very instant, I made a total buffoon of myself. And I thought, God, you are so good to let this happen to me in this situation, to show me that when we take these verses seriously and start calling upon God to do something in our lives, that He really does it. And when we disobey, we pay a price. And I certainly paid a price very small price. It was a very small blade, but it was a small price. Nevertheless, it was something that I'll probably remember for a long time. And I, I, was, I was in California this week as I was uh, uh, at a meeting speaking uh, uh, to the Department of Defense on a number of issues, and there were a number of other people there. And I had been meditating on this very verse that morning. And I remembered seeing one guy in the morning, and very often these, these meetings start at like 7.30 in the morning, and most people aren't even really awake, and they're, they're real you know, grumbly and, and stuff. And, and I thought, let me try this. And I looked at this one guy right in his eye, and I said, good morning. And he just was kind of blown away by that, and he came up to me a few minutes later, and he handed me his card. He said, you know... I just want to get to know you a little bit better. Something happened because I was vividly trying to practice this verse. Exactly how we want to be treated, we are to treat others. If we want people to dump on us, that's how we're to treat them. But if we want people to treat us kindly and nicely, this is what we're supposed to walk in. Look at what the Scriptures call us to. Again and again, it calls us to things that are different than the things of the world. Look again in Luke chapter 6, this, this portion that we've been going to several times in relation to, to uh, uh, this, this portion that we've been reading in Matthew. Luke chapter 6 and verse 31. You see the same thought there. Luke 6, uh, 6 31. Treat others the same way you want them to treat you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. So the implication is that we do good to people who do not do good to us. When they don't do us good, we are to specifically come back and show them good. Specifically come back and show them good when they don't do good to us. This is what God calls us to. And our, our, our basic instinct is to say, well, they weren't nice to me. And God says, that's right. But I am calling you to something different than your basic in instinct, which is sinful and corrupt and wicked and worthy of death forever and ever. I'm calling you to something different. And now let, looking back in Matthew chapter 7. If you look at the beginning of verse 12, it says, In everything, therefore, treat people the same way. See, in everything, therefore, treat people the same way. In his saying, therefore, he's, he's implying that it had something to do with the verse above it. So if you look in verse 11, 
If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give what is good to those who ask Him? It says that God gives us good things. God gives us good things. And what He expects back from us is to return that back to Him. Give Him back good things. He treats us in the same way that He would like to be treated by us. He gives us good things. In the other portion that we had read last week, which matches up with with this portion in, in Matthew 7, which is actually in Luke, it says that He makes the rain to fall both on the righteous and on the wicked. Interestingly, He doesn't just have the rain fall on this plot of land and leave that plot of land untouched. God gives to the righteous and the wicked alike. He gives them rain. God is gracious. God is giving to those, giving to us, and, and, and God is turning to us and saying, okay, look, I am treating you in this way. I'd like to see that treatment back, and I'd like to see you treat people. And in however you treat them, you will receive that back in return. Remember we had looked in Luke chapter 6. It says that the way we give out is the way we will receive back. And it's not in a one-to-one relationship. Many times over, we will receive back. Whatever we give, we will receive back. Pressed down, shaken together, running over, it will be pouring into our lap. And as you give and bless others, you will receive back many, many times over. For example, the small service that you do in the Christian community, you will receive back many times over. You set up in the kitchen, you will receive back a blessing many times over. You set up chairs, you will receive back a blessing many times over. You, you uh, plan for a little Bible study, you will receive black back blessings many times over. Shireen is so giving, it pours out into her lap, and I just follow behind her and pick up all these blessings that are just pouring off of her lap. You bless your entire family as you learn to bless others. And as you learn to treat others well, you get back a lot. And if you come and you just sit on your behind and you say, serve me, because, you know, I don't know how to serve very well. Well, get up and start serving. You can certainly set up chairs. You can certainly clean the floor. And if you've not done that, you really ought to start. And you will learn to receive a blessing. If you don't learn to serve in that way, you will see... At some point when you want something to do, there will be nobody there to help you. You say, why doesn't anybody help me? And you get all, well, because you never helped anybody. Because you you sat on your butt and you thought that everybody should wait on you. And that's exactly what you receive back many, many times over. For every time you sat on your rear end, there's going to be a hundred people sitting on their rear ends in, in response to yours. But if you've learned to serve, And to give, you will receive back many, many times over. Alright, verse 13. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. Enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide, and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small, and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few who find it. He says that there is a narrow gate... Very narrow. And then there is a broad gate. The narrow gate leads to life. 
the broad gate leads to destruction. You know, God again then says that the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life and fewer those who enter through it. But there are many who go through that wide gate and it's broad, but it leads to destruction. So there is this huge gate and it's as if there's this nicely paved ramp and it's always going down. And it's kind of curving, this constant curve. And what happens is, always thinking that there's something greater just around this curve. But there's this narrow gate that leads to life. And it says, and it's a hard way. It's narrow. It's difficult. There are stones in the path. And it's hard. And you're always walking, though, upward. But the light is getting brighter all the time. You know, I, I... I like to watch unbelievers sometimes. We were, to, we were recently invited to a, a basketball game, a uh, uh, Houston Rockets game. And uh, this friend of ours gave us four tickets and we went there. And these are really nice seats. And, and um, about halfway into the game, you know, some people from way up on the upper deck start moving down and taking the seats that, that nobody has taken. And I watched these two guys come on down and they sat in front of us. And I was watching them and boy, they looked unhappy. I mean, they were shouting about the game. I mean, it, it, and, and, and the Rockets were winning almost the whole game. But these guys were angry and they wanted the Rockets. It was obvious by what they were shouting, but, but they wanted a bigger point spread than had been there. But they were really angry and I was watching them just suck down their beers and, and uh, uh, you, you know, they, they, they close it at like the, the, the fourth quarter. You can't buy beers anymore. So at the end of the third quarter, they bought lots of beer to last them through the fourth quarter. And they were getting more and more angry. And I was looking at their lives and I thought, I am so glad I don't have to live like that. I mean, what's to look forward to? If you can get so angry over a basketball game like this when your team is obviously winning. I mean, imagine if you, you guys were losing, how, how angry you would be. And, and, uh, and then I thought back to my life before I knew Christ. And I thought, this is exactly how I was. And I look at these guys and I think, what are you looking forward to in life? And I know what it is, what commonly it is. It's, you know, if I can find this woman, I can hit on this woman and, and have her, and maybe that will lead to the perfect relationship, and then I'll be happy. And there's always this elusive happiness that you're going toward that's never really there. This is this, this broad gate that leads to destruction. It talks about, in the book of Proverbs, it talks about the adulterous woman, and if you get involved with her, it says that... that her way leads to death. And it's like wormwood, which just eats away. And it says, but smoother than oil is her speech, but her path leads to destruction. And you look at the life of unbelievers, and it is, there's no happiness there. There's nothing to look forward to. And I'll tell you, as I get older and older as a believer, I look forward more and more to seeing my Jesus. And I get closer to the light of God. And it's not an easy way. It says the gate is narrow. The way is difficult when you're a believer. Because you can't do this. You don't do that. That people say things to you and you have to treat them nicely in return. 
And you're constantly being called upon by the Holy Spirit to walk differently than the way you would normally be walking. But it leads to life. What God calls you to as a believer, He calls you to rise up in the morning and to pray. To spend some time seeking Him. You say, well, why do I have to do that? Because it leads to life. You don't have to. You can emulate the way of those who are going through the broad gate that leads to destruction. And your life will be very, very difficult in return. It will be difficult in return. But when you look back as a believer, you see blessing after blessing. You know, I see so many people coming and regretting the way that they had raised their children. And I have very few regrets. You know, I haven't been a perfect father, but I have very few regrets. Because I taught my kids the Word of God, and it's up to them now. Will they walk in it? It's up to them. Will they choose to walk in it? But I have no regrets in that. Every morning I taught them the things of God. Every morning I rose up and I prayed for them. And I have no regrets. I will go to the Father and I will say, I taught my children about you. But it is not easy when everybody else is sleeping. I mean, if, if, if they get to work at 9 in the morning, they got out of bed at 8.30 and they got their teeth brushed and they rolled into work at 9 o'clock. I was up long before that. But there is blessing in that. The gate is narrow, but He calls us to something different. You've got to force yourself up to seek Him. He calls us to be different. But it leads to life. These things that He puts before us are life. When you treat others the way you want to be treated, it brings life into you. It brings compassion into your home. It does great things for your family. These things happen this way when you walk by the ways of God. When you don't, you miss out on it. When you want to sleep in every day, you will miss out. When you want to miss church, you will miss out. Believe me, you will miss out. Children pick up hypocrisy better than anyone else. They know it instantly. And if you just say, well, now the kids are old enough, we'll start going to church. Guess what? It is written all over your forehead to your children. Hypocrite, hypocrite, hypocrite. And when your children are then teens, they will tell you exactly what's written on your forehead. You do things and you follow the ways of God and you will be truly blessed. There are so many that are, are on this path to destruction. But there is a way that ultimately leads to life. Yes, you are walking uphill. Yes, you've got to do things that normally wears against your flesh. But in the end, it brings life. And when you go through this, this, this gate that leads to destruction, it's a much easier gate than walking down. But it's always going, you think, around the bend is happiness. Just around the corner is happiness. And you keep on walking. And this is spiral, and you never can see around the corner, and it gets darker and darker and darker. I have watched the lives of unbelievers, and it gets so dark. You know, very often when, when, when young people are in college, it's interesting to watch them. They think they'll have the world by the tail. I mean, they are just on top of this thing. And then I see them a decade later, ten years later, They've been through a divorce, they have kids, and they hardly ever get to see their kids, they're discontent in their jobs, and you see that the world has an amazing way 
of wearing on people and wearing them down. And then I look at the life of believers who will continue to walk in the ways of God. They go through struggles, but their life continues to shine forth something of God. And you see a joy and a peace there that's amazingly rich. This enormous joy and peace. These guys were sitting at this ball game and just angry and bitter. And I thought, what do they have to look forward to? This is the life, the characteristic life of the unbeliever. And Jesus says, the gate is narrow, and I'm calling you into that gate. Verse 15, Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit nor a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then, you will know them by their fruits. So he's talking about false prophets that come into our midst. I have seen people that have come into churches, even spoken in churches, and you look at them and you wonder, you know, you've got all the words, but then you begin to watch their lives. Begin to watch their lives. And that's what Jesus says. Look in in, uh, Galatians chapter 5, where it talks about the fruit of the Spirit and and the things that come forth. Galatians chapter 5. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Look where he starts in this list of the deeds of the flesh. Immorality, impurity, sensuality. If you read the King James, it'll talk, it, it, it will mention adultery, it will mention uh, fornication. If you look in the, in the NIV, it, talks about, it mentions adultery, or does it? What, what, what does the NIV say for the first three words? Immorality, impurity, sensuality. What? Impurity, debauchery. Just two words? Sexual immorality. Okay. The, the sense that you get here is indeed... He starts out with sexual immorality. You watch the lives of individuals. When men come preaching, and just by the way they're looking at women, I can tell that there's some problem there. These are things that must be dealt with in the life of a believer. Must be dealt with in the life of a believer. And this is why. I keep underscoring how important it is that we walk free of sexual impurity, both before marriage and while in marriage. Free of sexual impurity. It starts here. He starts it with the things of uh, of mentioning things regarding sexual purity. And it starts at this phase in your life. At this phase is where it starts. And I'm not judging you, I am calling you to a higher walk and a higher life. 
God has something purer for you. If we take and we lay down moral standards before marriage, it is much harder to observe them once in marriage. You will set up a pattern for yourselves. You say, well, it's okay because we're leading to marriage. What difference does you know, a, a marriage certificate make? I mean, we have a, committed, a, a, a commitment in relationship. Then honor the commitment in the time that it's supposed to be honored. You are to not be involved in each other's lives sexually. You are not to be. If you are unmarried, that is not the place for sexual acts. And God calls us to purity. And the warning is clear. He says, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. I mean, this is pretty strong. And I didn't write this book. Somebody else did. And this is what he put down there. And he calls us and he says, false prophets, you're going to see things in their lives. He says that they, you're going to see these habits in their lives. I've seen men come into churches and preach. And I look at them and I think, there's something wrong here. And then before long, I see the way they're looking at women. And within a year, I see them chasing women other than their wives. This is all messed up. But Jesus warns us about this. He says, you will know them by the fruits that they bear. You will know them by the things that come out of their lives. And then it says in verse 22 of Galatians chapter 5, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. This issue of faithfulness, this is an instant indication of somebody who, who there's a good chance God's doing something in their lives. I look for faithfulness. This is something to easily see. If somebody tells me, I'll be there and I'll take care of it. If they don't show up, guess what? I never forget it. I never forget that they didn't show up. Unless they come back to me and say, I totally blew it. Now, there are times I've missed appointments. I really have. But I will go and I will meet with that person and write them a letter and, 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 and apologize. How do you deal with faithfulness? Are we faithful? This is a prime indicator. Some of these guys that I'm telling you, these false prophets, I've set things up with them. I said, okay, I want you to meet me here. We will go together and we will go share with this person. And they don't even show up. Instantly, you begin to see that they lack this faithfulness. There are fruits that can be born and there are other fruits that shouldn't be born in the life of a believer, which gives you an indication of where they are. The thing of faithfulness is so important. Will we be faithful to something? Will we be faithful? I find it, personally, I find it a really trivial thing to get up in the morning and go to church. For me, this is, this is just an easy thing to do. If you can't be faithful in this, I think people would have trouble being faithful in a lot of issues in their life. There are things that God calls us to. And he says these are indicators of the work of God being done in our lives. And then he, he, but he starts on the negative side. He starts with the impurity. And this is where he starts. Again and again, the scriptures put in our lives. Remember the portion that we read? Jesus said, concerning things of the flesh. He said, if you look upon a woman to lust after her, you've committed adultery with her already in your heart. If your eye offendeth thee, if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out and throw it from you. For it is better 
that you, you, you go maimed than, go, than, than, uh, than perish. And then he says the same thing about your hand. And we studied this and we said, has he ever spoken so emphatically? This is what he talks about. He says, this is the indication in false prophets. You will see men, you will see women coming and speaking things. You watch their lives. If you're wondering about them, are they really believers? Are they really walking with God? Just watch their lives. Sometimes it takes a period of months, but just watch their lives. Doesn't mean they're perfect. Not at all. But just watch the life. Watch the life. And I began to see them moving in many dimensions that were, that, that were contrary to the things of God. And you can begin to pick it out. He warns us about this thing. You say, well, I don't know what kind of church you were in that you saw this. Well, let me tell you something. Any church... Anywhere, false prophets come. Now let's read on down. We're in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. You who practice lawlessness. Look what he does. He says that there are many who are going to practice, who, 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 are, who are going to say, Lord, Lord, but they're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. He says, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. You think God considers obedience to be somewhat important? Faithfulness to His Word? Let's look in, 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 in the classic Old Testament passage, 1 Samuel chapter 15, that covers this. This Old Testament passage in 1 Samuel 15, concerning Saul, King Saul. King Saul was, was commanded by Samuel the prophet who was speaking the Word of God, to go and to wipe out the Amalekites. The Amalekite tribe had attacked Israel when Israel meant them no harm. Israel was coming into the Promised Land and they had to pass through a certain area. And they, told the, they, and they said, we want nothing to do with you Amalekites. We're not here to bother you in any way. And the Amalekites came and attacked them. And, and, and Israel was not armed at the time and they came and they started to kill them. And God said... I will return upon the Amalekites' judgment. And the judgment came hundreds and hundreds of years later. You know, God returns judgment sometimes, not right away. Well, God had now commanded Saul to utterly wipe out the Amalekites. Look in chapter 15 of 1 Samuel, verse 1. Then Samuel said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you as king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore listen to the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel. How he set himself against him on his way while he was coming up from Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and utterly destroy all that he has. And do not spare him, but put to death both man and woman, child and infant, ox, sheep, camel and donkey. Then Saul summoned the men, and, and then you go on, and it turns out that Saul overcomes and attacks the Amalekites, and he wins. But he doesn't kill everybody. 
He spares the king, Amalek. He spares the sheep, the oxen, the donkeys, all the animal. he take, animals. He takes the spoil. And he didn't even kill all the men. And we know that because did you know who killed King Saul? An Amalekite. When Saul didn't carry out the word of the Lord, God had King Saul, it says, that an Amalekite slave was the one who ultimately put King Saul to death. But look down in, in uh, um, verse 7. So Saul defeated Amalek from Hivala as you go to Shur, which is east of Egypt. And he captured Agag, the king of the Amalekites, and utterly destroyed all the people by the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and the oxen and the fatlings and the lambs and all that was good, and were not willing to destroy them utterly. But everything despised and worthless, that they utterly destroyed. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel, I regret that I made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not carried out my commands. And Samuel was distressed and cried out to the Lord all night. Samuel arose early in the morning to meet Saul. And it was told Samuel, saying, Saul is at Carmel, and behold, he set up a monument for himself. And then he turned and proceeded down to Gilgal. So it's interesting. So here King Saul wipes out the Amalekites. What does he do? He doesn't kill everything that he was supposed to kill. He keeps some as spoil and he sets up a monument to himself. You think he was dealing with some, something about himself here? Verse 13, And Samuel came to Saul and said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have carried out the command of the Lord. But Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears and this lowing of oxen which I hear? And Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen and sacrificed to sacrifice to the Lord your God, but the rest we have utterly destroyed. Then Samuel said to Saul, Wait, let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And he said to him, Speak. Okay, so Samuel comes, and what does King Saul do? He says, Blessed are you of the Lord. I've carried out the command of the Lord. Did everything the Lord asked me to do. And, uh, um, and so Samuel says, um, what's all these sheep I hear? And this, all this lowing of oxen and this bleeding of sheep. You were supposed to kill them all. He says, oh, those. <laughs> it's the people. The people spared those. Not me. You know, it had nothing to do with it. It's the people. They brought them as an offering to the Lord. How convenient. Then Samuel said to Saul, wait, let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And he said to him, speak. So he's like, all right, go ahead. You know, I know I'm all right. <laughs> Tell me. Yeah, God, I'm, I'm okay, huh? Go ahead, speak it. Samuel said, is it not true that you were little in your own eyes and you were made head of the tribes of Israel and the Lord anointed you king over Israel and the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are exterminated. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord, but rushed upon the spoil and did what was evil in the sight of the Lord? Then Saul said to Samuel, I did obey the voice of the Lord and went on the mission on which the Lord sent me and have brought back Agag the king of, the Amalek, of, of Amalek and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took some of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the choicest of things, devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God at Gilgal. 
Okay, so again, he blames it on the people. He never takes responsibility for himself. And he didn't carry out the command of the Lord. You know, when I read this, it reminds me of people who don't want to give anything to the Lord's service. And it's, it, it's like, well, you, you know, I don't have to give to the church because, you know, I give it to my family. You know, this is the church. We are the church. I'm like, you cheapskate. You're just keeping it for yourself. You're just keeping it for yourself. Give something to the Lord's work. Give something to His people. Don't think that you can keep this to yourself and fool God. Well, you you know, we serve the Lord. We dedicate it to the Lord. Well, then, really dedicate it. Really dedicate it to the Lord. And look at the judgment that comes in verse 22. Samuel says, Has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination and insubordination is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, He has also rejected you from being king. Wow. You think God speaks a strong word here concerning obedience? He says insubordination. Insubordination is as iniquity and idolatry. He says obeying the voice of the Lord is more important than offering up great sacrifices. It's obeying the voice of the Lord. He says, you can't say, well, I'm going to dedicate that to the Lord without really dedicating it. You've got to follow through. Because you've rejected the word of the Lord, it says the Lord has rejected you. And then what you see in this is that Saul really didn't even care about this. All Saul cared about was his being honored in front of the people. God speaks very clearly in Matthew chapter 7. He says, not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven. But those who do the will of the Father... He says, I will say, away from me. You, I never knew you, you who practice lawlessness. These are the words of Jesus. This compassionate Jesus tells us how important it is to obey the voice of God. How important it is to respect His word. And you know, it's not because He's looking for a bunch of, 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 of people that He can whip. It is for our own good. Let me tell you what happens. Go ahead. Sleep around before marriage. Go ahead, sleep with this girl all you want, because it doesn't really matter. Matter. Once you're married, you, you know, you're, you're leading toward marriage, right? Well, there's a good chance you're not going to end up getting married to her. There's a good chance you're not going to end up getting married. And what's going to happen is there's going to be this bonding that occurs. And this woman is going to be bound to you. And then this woman, after you've gone off with somebody else, is going to end up marrying somebody else and being bound in her heart to another man. And it's hard to break this sort of thing. Or if the two of you do end up getting married, you're going to have struggles in marriage because of this illicit relationship. God knows that and He wants to spare us the trouble. He really wants to spare us the heartache. He knows about this. He's seen this before. You know, He has some data points here that that speak that there's troubles that come. There are troubles that come. He's trying to spare us the trouble. Go ahead, sleep in every morning. Don't read your Bible. It really doesn't matter. You know, just, just once in a while roll in the church. It'll be all right. No, God knows the trouble that will come. If we don't get this word in our heart, I'm telling you, I was meditating on that portion all week. 
that I'm to do to others what I want them to do to me. And I, it was just so clear to me. I was just throwing in these little darts just to get somebody. And God was making it so clear to me how wicked my heart is. And this is why He says, get in this Word. It's for your own good. You feel like, God, I'm doing you a favor now. I'm reading my Bible. I'm doing you a favor. Give me a break. God knows that this is good for us. He wants to spare us troubles. He wants to spare us pain. He really wants you to have a good life. And this is the prescription. And if we don't take this, we're not going to have a good life. Because He knows in our own hearts there dwells nothing good. There is no good in us, the Scripture says. There dwells nothing good in us. It says the heart of man is desperately sick above all else. Who can understand it? That's the heart of man. You say, well, he's got a good heart. Well, the heart of man is desperately sick above all else. Who can understand it? And God says, you need your hearts transformed by the Word of God. The obedience to the Word of God is for our own good. And you see this all the time. As you raise children, there are many things you tell them they don't like, but you know it's for their own good. Now, you really got to study tonight, because in life, if you don't study, well, I don't like studying. You really got to study. You really, well, I don't want to go to school. Okay, fine. You don't want to go to school? Fine. You're six years old. You've made a decision. No. You force them to go. You're going to school, because you know this is good for them. You know this is good. And so you... Help them along with this thing. And that's what God does. But if we continue to rebel, He doesn't push us. He really doesn't push us. He woos us. He warns us. He draws us. But ultimately, He leaves the decision to us. This whole thing of obedience. And did you know you cannot obey God without learning to obey other people? Really. Learning how to be in submission to a local church to a campus group, learning how to work with others. It is very difficult to obey God who you cannot see if you cannot obey those who you see. And it says, says, young men, obey your elders. Talking about elders in the church. Well, if you have no relation in the church, no accountability, who's to obey? Well, they never told me anything because you were never there. Because there's no relationship. If you have a relationship... They would instruct you. They really would. If I have no relationship with somebody, I don't warn them when they're doing something wrong that's going to tear up their lives. But if I have a relationship with somebody in this class and they ask me about something, I'll say, you're an idiot to do that. You are really an idiot. That's going to destroy your life. They're like, you're so hard. Well, what do you want me to say? You want me to say, go ahead and do it? Go ahead. No, I just say it clearly. That's dumb. Don't do it. You know, and here's what it says in the Bible about it. And so when there's a relationship, it actually keeps us from harm. It keeps us from trouble. And Jesus equates this with getting into heaven. So we can do all these works, it means nothing, if there's not a path of obedience. Let's pray. Father, I don't know if I've, if I've ever today just been able to, to get across the points in your word. Father, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would touch these young lives.
that they would adhere to your word. That they would learn to do to others as they would want done to them. Father, that they would enter by this narrow gate, which can be hard because it's narrow, yet it is constantly leading to the light. Father, I pray that you'd protect them from false prophets, that they'd learn to use the signs that you have said, the fruit that is born. And Father, I pray that you would take these young people and give them hearts of obedience to your word, to your word, because it means good for them, because you want your very best for them. Please, O Lord, may they seek your face. Have mercy on them, I pray. In the name of Jesus, amen.